Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. It's myself, Mark, back again this time for episode number 53. We're racing through these. And I am joined by the museum's newest uh, and brightest shining star <laughs> storyteller, Cece. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's lovely to be here. You, you've listened to the podcast before, yeah? I have, yeah. Admittedly, in my first interview here, I said that I hadn't. Um, but since then, I've really been digging in and doing the yeah, work. Yeah, but it, but it that wasn't all that long ago, because it's now it's just been maybe, to see when this goes out, we're probably going to be at like six, seven weeks since you came in as a visitor. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you, of course, were on Nisha's tour. I was, I was. And you asked if there was jobs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question about that, because um, I met you soon after, after you emailed me. Watching Nisha do a tour, when you asked were there jobs, you did realise it was doing what Nisha had just done. I did, I did. You know, like, I'm still learning, I'm nowhere near as experienced as Nisha, but I just thought that if someone like that can be produced from this museum, I definitely want to throw my hat in the ring if there's anything going. No, I always love it when someone sees what we do and thinks, yeah. I, I could do that. I want to give that a go. That's that's fairly ballsy, and I always respect that. I've had a number. Obviously, I've interviewed everyone who's ever worked in the museum, bar myself, I think, uh, and a couple, you know, at the start. But um, I've had people apply for jobs before who haven't been in the museum. That's not uncommon. A lot of the guys who work here now didn't visit before applying. Mm. Uh, and I always always offer people, you know, hey, come in, do a tour, see what it involves. I've had a couple of people over the years come through on a tour. I arrange for them to wait at the end and just have a chat with me. I've had a couple of people leave. I've had, I've had a few people leave, just not be there at the end of the tour. And on only on one occasion have I received an email. And, and I hope the person's listening because they were a lovely person. They said, uh, I'm sorry, I just, I wouldn't be able to do that. And I never want you to go in and do what you saw. It's about finding your way of doing it. But mm. but you're doing, like, I mean, you've done every aspect of a tour pretty much now at the point yeah, of recording. Yeah, bar the ferry. Yeah. 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 And, and today, you got, you, you know, we were inside uh, doing a couple of tours today and you got, like, a, a lovely group then we're in from... Uh, oh, I loved them. ICE Ireland, one of the language schools. Mm. A Spanish 16-year-olds just adoring everything you said. It was so lovely. They were just such a nice group. It's addictive. And, yeah. And obviously with me def- not having the Dublin accent, um, I was a bit worried that they wouldn't be able to understand me. So I was like, please stop. Tell me if I need to slow down. Tell me if I need to speed up. Tell me if I need to start pronouncing letters a bit more. So I think they kind of appreciated that because I was like, please just let me know. I would much rather have to repeat myself. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna learn that a yeah. couple of things. One is that we all sound the same to a lot of the a lot of the visitors anyway. They don't we distinguish between. Do, yeah. To be fair, it's not like we distinguish. Like if they sound Spanish, they're Spanish. We don't yeah. regionally. I've never really thought about that because the Irish accent is so varied. Oh, every every hundred yards it changes, but in terms of your accent, because it is a mix. But what? How would you? What would you define your accent as? Um, it's a mix between Tipperary and Wicklow. So yeah. I kept a lot of like the Tipperary inflection, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then I pronounce my words a lot more than say my mother or father would because they're both from middle of nowhere, Tipperary country rural living. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's interesting because when my partner actually met my parents, I had to, my partner's English, so I had to sit between the two of them and actually translate what my parents were saying to my partner. Yeah. Because it is that thick and slurred and shh type of noise. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. So that was my restraint. I know I love messing with our English visitors when they come in. Obviously, we've got an amazing, uh, you know, amazingly horrendous history between Ireland and England. But mm. we're in a position here in the museum to play with that. And I actually think it, it, it kind of highlights something that's really important about storytelling is that it's quite healing. Mm. It's like uh, it's like the Dagda's harp. A storyteller is like the Dagda's harp. You can use it to soothe or you can use it to rile people up, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I think I think a good storytelling voice works like a musical instrument. Um, we're going to be listening to a story now in a moment from a when it comes to their voice, an amazing musician um, who plays their instrument like an otherworldly creature. It's going to be Nisha, who, of course, as we said, did your first tour. Yeah. Um, and at this stage for you, then, it must be great because a lot of the stories that you're hearing are new to you. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's like I'm in the craziest, most fun school ever. And I never enjoyed school as a child. But now I'm waking up and I'm really happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. I mean, it's also the war. I mean, there is homework. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there is homework. I just, you know, maybe I should get a red pen when I'm walking around. <laughs> yeah. And start giving. Oh, my goodness. School punishments I could use. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why did I even say Detention it? Detention we could bring in. Lines. Um, yeah. All those awful things that we could do. <laughs> Do you know um, what? As long as we don't bring in like scratchy school pants or shirts. No, no, we're not doing that. We're never yeah. one for never one for the restrictions of a uniform. We like to be able to kind of distinguish ourselves from the visitors. But you're, I mean, you're wearing one of our hoodies today. So mm. am I. Um, and how well we look. You guys are really missing out by just getting our voices. But sure, a visitor can come in and just buy a hoodie. I actually like that. For the most part, we look like the people who come in. Yeah. Um, and I think our behaviour is what really makes us stand out as being in charge, you know? Yeah. But then again, to bring it back to Nisha, some people have such a commanding presence. Uh, you know, you could come in, be unable of seeing, hearing, smelling or tasting, and you'd still know that Nisha was in the room. So let's sit back. We're going to enjoy The Dark Rider from Nisha, and we'll come back straight after One fine summer's day, Jemmy Nolan was on his way to the cattle fair at Slain. Jemmy was what you'd call a strong farmer. He had a good swathe of workable land and many head of fine cattle. In fact, his cattle were the envy of the county. That's why he was heading to Slain. He hoped he'd get an excellent price for some of his finest milking cows. And since he had some servants, they had risen up at the dawn and gone on ahead of him to set up the cows, waiting for the master to show up and begin the sale. He himself rose a few hours later than them, and was now walking along the road just before noon. It was a fine day. The sun was beaming down, the wildlife chirped from the hedgerows, and Jemmy thought that today was a good day to be alive. As he was walking along, whistling a tune, suddenly the wind changed. 
He looked behind him and he saw storm clouds rolling in. Soon they blotted out the sun. And he could hear the telltale signs of horses' hooves coming down the road. And as he looked, he saw a man wrapped up in a velvet black cloak, covering his face, riding atop a black horse. The sounds of the galloping horse grew louder and louder until suddenly it drew up right next to Jemmy, and a big voice boomed down from the man. Jemmy Nolan, I've been looking for you down the road all morning. I hear you're headed to Slane. I'm headed there myself, and will be delighted if you'd honour me with your company. Please, join me on my horse. And suddenly, Jemmy became incredibly aware that he was not talking to a man. He suddenly remembered the stories that his grandfather had told him of the fairies living deep inside of the hills, taking away the strong, handsome men and the most beautiful women of Ireland to play in their fairy courts forevermore. Really, said Jemmy, thank you for the offer, but I don't think it's appropriate for a man of my station to be travelling on top of a horse with a gentleman such as yourself. Thanks for the offer, though. No, Jemmy, said the rider. I really must insist. He then bent down from the horse and stretched out his white riding crop and touched it on Jemmy's shoulder. Before Jemmy knew anything, he was there on the back of the horse behind the man. The dark rider reared up and they started charging down the road. Until suddenly, they veered off the road into the forest. Twigs and branches snapped around Jemmy as they charged on through until suddenly they came out of the forest, and up ahead, Jemmy saw a magnificent palace, and dozens of tiny servants, not a man of them bigger than four foot in height, all dressed in fine gold and green. They greeted the dark rider and helped Jemmy down from the horse. Jemmy was led into a bedchamber. He was then stripped and bathed. They got into all the nooks and crannies and made him the cleanest that Jemmy had felt in months. After they left him, Jemmy found a beautiful crushed velvet brown suit waiting for him on the bed. He put on the suit and thought he looked simply gorgeous in it. He went downstairs and saw a feast well underway. Gold seemed to stream down from the ceiling. Everyone was laughing and dancing and drinking, and a huge crowd of giggling young girls spotted Jemmy as soon as he approached. Now, Jemmy was a fine cut of a man, tall, handsome, thick, dark curls. Simply put, he was a quite attractive man, and the young girls had noticed. The young ladies all rocked up to Jemmy, each one in turn asking him to dance with them. And Jemmy was not a man to turn down a lovely old girl. He danced with them happily, one after the other, far into the evening. Till he was simply exhausted. That's when he went up to the dark rider, who was now lounging on a throne at one end of the hall. Please, sir, he said, and thank you for your hospitality. But I'm quite tired now, and starving. Please, could I have a bit of food and drink, and then maybe be led to bed? Of course, Jemmy, said the dark rider. But before you do so, you must tell me a story. For none may stay within the walls of my house without their own tale to tell. 
And now Jamie was a bit stumped. Because he loved stories. He'd often heard the local storyteller telling him epic tales of Finn and the Fianna. But he didn't have a head for stories. He couldn't remember them. He enjoyed them while he was listening to them, but they'd go one ear and drain out the other. Sorry, sir, he said. I've really got to apologise, but I don't have any stories to tell you. And suddenly the whole mood in the hall changed. There was deathly silence. After a moment, the Dark Rider spoke slowly. No stories. Get out of my hall and do not return again until you have a tale to tell. Jemmy was grabbed roughly and thrown out of the doors. It was now far into the night. The only light in the sky was the moon and the pinpricks of the stars. Jemmy pulled his buff velvet suit around him and headed off to the forest. He looked for a tree to shelter under, passed the night away until the dawn. And finding a suitable tree, he lay down. He'd only closed his eyes for about two seconds when he heard the sound of heavy footprints on he looked and he saw three men coming along with a coffin. They seemed to spot Jemmy and made their way over to him. Jemmy Nolan, they shouted. We've been looking for you all evening. We need a fourth man to help us with our coffin. You'll help, won't you, Jemmy? And Jemmy really had nothing better to do. So he put his shoulder under the coffin and helped the four men carry it. They carried it all the way through the forest over hills, winding down gullies, over the bog, until finally they came to an ancient old graveyard. There was many tombstones, more than Jemmy could possibly hope to count, all covered over with moss and age. They found a suitable empty spot in the graveyard, got out a shovel, and then the foreman declared, One of us must dig the grave. Who shall dig it? And they decided they'd draw lots. They draw the lots, and the shortest stick fell on Jemmy. So, taking the shovel in hand, he began digging into the earth. He dug a nice, deep grave. And by the time he was done, he was exhausted. He was covered in sweat and dirt from the ground. And the three men stared down into the deep hole he'd dug, staring right down into Jemmy's eyes. Now, said one of them, who shall we bury in the coffin? No need to draw lots, the other two replied in unison. For we shall bury Jemmy in the coffin. Jemmy suddenly realised he was in a fight for his life. He began throwing punches at the three men, giving them shattering blows that would send any mortal man to the floor. But still they just rose up again and kept coming and coming. Because Jemmy was strong. But it was three against one. He felt himself exhausted from all of the labour of the digging and fighting off the men. He knew he couldn't hold them off for much longer. Until suddenly, as he was thrown to the ground, he felt something underneath his hand. Reaching down, he picked up a rod. It was a hazel stick. He waved it in front of him like a sword and suddenly the three men began backing away in terror. He charged at them and struck once, twice, three times. Each time he struck one of the men, they collapsed to the ground as if dead. It was now soft and silent. 
The moonlight still streamed down on the empty coffin. And Jemmy decided to run. He ran back across the bog, back up the gullies, round the hills, through the forest, until he came back to the house. He was welcomed in by the servants and led to the dark rider still seated on his throne. Welcome back, Jemmy, he said. Do you have a story for me now? And Jemmy smiled. I do, actually, he said. And he began to tell the dark rider of the three men, the coffin and the grave. Once he was done with his tale, the dark rider clapped. He summoned his servants, gave Jemmy fine food and drink. But as Jemmy ate the food and drank the drink, his eyelids became heavy. He closed his eyes and he must have drifted off to sleep. Because when he woke up the next day, sunlight was streaming down on his face. He looked around him and he was alone in a field. Not five miles from his house. He got up to his feet and started to believe that the whole thing had just been a dream. Because he looked down. He was wearing his old clothes. There was no fine crushed velvet suit. But suddenly he remembered the cattle. He ran back to his farm and he saw his servants all looking nervous. They ran up to Jemmy as soon as they saw him and they apologised profusely. They said that they'd waited and waited and waited all day at the market. But when Jemmy hadn't shown up, they didn't feel safe selling the cows without him. They decided to head home. And as they'd been coming home, down the road, they'd heard the sounds of riders' hooves on the road. A thick mist rolled in. And one by one the cattle had vanished from sight. And when the mist cleared again, there was not a single one of them left. All of the servants were perplexed. They had no clue what had gone on. Oh, but Jemmy knew. Jemmy knew exactly what had happened. It was the fairies. They had lured him away, kept him busy with coffins and dancing with beautiful young ladies all through the night, so they could steal his finest cattle from his herd. And he didn't even begrudge them that. That was all fair play in Ireland back then. No. The fairies would steal your cattle as long as you let your guard down. That was Jemmy's own fault. Didn't mind that. No. But he thought they could at least have left him with the fine velvet suit. And from that day on, he swore he'd never have dealings with the fairies ever again. And that was the story of The Dark Rider by Nisha. It's such a Nisha story. It's so Nisha. It's yeah. very sleek. Even the name, as you said, yeah. completely Nisha. Yeah. I, Nisha could ju- I think one of the great things when you're watching a storyteller or listening to a storyteller like Nisha, it's very easy to picture them as the characters. Yeah. But Nisha could just as easily be Jemmy as they could be the actual Dark Rider themselves. Um, and I think that's that's... That's kind of a really important thing to choose, you know, to look at when you're mm. choosing a story. I've struggled in the past to, to tell stories that are female-led. Sometimes I do like to tell them because I like the challenge of it. Mm. But we tend to pick stories where we can put ourselves into the role uh, yeah. if, we're, if we're choosing a story. But Nisha just does it so well. All his stories are like kind of like dark at night and there's usually corpses or otherworldly yeah. people appearing out of the dark. And... Uh, 
they really have a nice little corner of the storytelling world kind of as their king. Yeah. No, Nisha surrounds all things kind of dark and he can make them so suitable for the daytime. Yeah. Well, that's the great thing because we're so lucky in the museum that we have a space that's been created for us to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, But we've equally, we've sat on the beach together and told stories, you know, we've sat up mountains and stuff like that, but having a space that creates the environment, though the museum's quite minimal. It is. There's not a huge amount in there. Uh, intentionally to make people's uh, imaginations kick in but yeah Nisha's got this whole kind of like dark mysterious thing going on that they mm. do so well but the way that I kind of picture it is Nisha is Jemmy during the day and the dark night the dark, the dark rider yeah, yeah. it's, it's at, at that, night, kind, of, that it kind of really, duality yeah. of it as well but it takes so very little to shift between those two characters, you know? It does. <clears throat> and you'd, you'd wonder what, like, the people who originally kind of put these stories down, what was their intention? Because usually there's two things with a story. Either it is a retelling or a version of something that happened, or the story's being created to get across a particular message. Mm. And I know that's something that we looked at on the previous podcast, actually, which was myself and Nisha, we were looking at a story told by Deirdre, which addressed things like consent and, and relationships. But I'm mm. sure that wasn't what they were trying to get when they wrote the story down. Of course. You know, 150, 200 years ago uh, with that version of it. But but with this one, it's not clear. There doesn't it, seem to be a message. Yeah. It makes me think that this is a telling of something that happened. Yeah, I suppose it could be. Um you know, in my mind, it just, it feels almost too fluffy, because... Too fluffy? Too, in what way? In the way that Jemmy was more concerned about his suit than his cattle. I actually love that, and that was such no, a... No, I, yeah, I no. do love it, but it just makes it seem too fluffy to be true. Yeah. Because, you know, like, I have family who are from farming generations yeah and i remember my dad telling me a story years ago of how his great-grandfather actually lost the farm yeah and his grandfathers and his father ended up working their whole lives to get it back yeah and your entire life in that type of environment revolves around your cattle it revolves around your land like that it like Think of the Bull McCabe. Yeah. That is like their entire life. That yeah. is ever the the hours that you pour into livestock is You live and yeah. die on the farm. You do, you yeah. do. Well then it's funny then with this story then, so maybe what we're looking for, because one of the other great mechanics and one of the great things about Irish stories is they're usually great excuses. The whole thing of going into a fairy hill and being kind of like almost possessed or bewitched by the music and the drink that these otherworldly beautiful women give you and that you know and the guy has to turn his jacket inside out that's how you get out of a fairy hill so the man is arriving home after an all-night bender he's all disheveled and his clothes aren't on properly and his excuse of course to the the woman at home is that uh oh he's bewitched by the fairies it wasn't, it was a lock-in, you bowsy. You've been out all night. But so strong is the belief. So maybe in this story, what we're looking at is a guy who's clearly a bit of a, a bit of a rogue. Mm. Uh, I was going to say not Nisha, but Nisha's a rogue. 
But he's a lovable rogue. He's a vagabond. We've referred to Nisha as in the past. But but Jemmy's a bit of a rogue. He's seems more upset about the finer things like the clothing. What if he was a gambler? What if? What if? Yeah. What, maybe, maybe what if he's lost the case? What's because that story was was created to be told. Mm. What if he arrived home with that version of the truth when really he's been off on a week long bender and he's lost his cattle through gambling or or through yeah. some kind of like misfortune of his own creation. Yeah, that could be very well the case. Yeah, we like coming up with excuses. We do. Do, do you know if he just went home and said what actually happened, he would probably get in no more trouble than that version of it. But we can't help ourselves. Some people are mm. natural storytellers. You like to, what's that phrase? Gild the lily. You've ever heard that phrase I've before? I've never heard that phrase. It's like to basically kind of like put gold leaf on things that don't need it. A lily's already beautiful. Why would you add gold to it? You know. But yeah. he 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 embellished to an unnecessary level with it. But yeah, I think he's a bit of a bowsy. <clears throat> Again, Jemmy, not Nisha. And uh, and I think that story is there in a way to kind of like oh and I and I swear it'll never happen again because I'm never going to have dealings with the fairies ever again. Yeah, and you know I do think that almost um, speaks to the nature of addiction in yeah. a way like because if he was a gambling addict, you know you will do if you're addicted to something you will do anything you can to hide it even coming up with these far fetched stories. Yeah, and I I really do. Now that we've looked into it, I do see that as a possibility. Yeah, it's, it's what I love about having the space again in the museum or when I do storytelling outside of here is it is, of course, enough to just tell the story. But I love the opportunity to explore the story with mm. an audience or with the people when the storytellers get to when we get together. You know, that's that's what we do. But I suppose that's the format for the podcast that we do here, which is that we we we, we introduce it. And then, and then we kind of, not that we pick it apart in an academic sense, um, but we do like to explore it. And maybe those of you who are listening to it have gotten something else for, or that you, when we talk about the, you know, the, you know, things of, of, of addiction and excuses and stuff like that, maybe it's like, nah, don't need to look that far into it. Just let me enjoy my goddamn story. <laughs> shut your face, Mark. Shut your, shut your face and just tell us more stories. That's what some people want. And that's just as valid. That's just as valid. Well, listen, it's been lovely exploring this story. I actually have lots more to think about now with that story. I recently did a version uh, of it called The Man With No Story on my own podcast. Um, So I've more to think about it now. But Cece, you've done a podcast now. I know, I know. I'm officially inducted. You're inducted. You're, I, don't, I don't know what's left for you to do now. Uh, you're coming on a field trip will probably be the next thing now. As yeah. soon as the weather's getting good. Um, which you probably wouldn't be impressed if we went off out to, you know, Blessington, out to Wicklow Way or... Well, I mean, look, I get to sleep in my bed that night. I'm happy. <laughs> you get to sleep in your bed, your own bed, whatever, wherever we go. Whatever but, like, we if do. we go, like, out to, like, not Grafton or something... Oh, like, we come home. Do we? We're here at 7 o'clock in the morning. We're on the road, we're out and about, and we're back here by 7 o'clock in the evening. Once a year, we'll do an overnight... And we've got up the north and you know what I mean? We've explored yeah. unusual spaces and stayed in castles overnight. But uh, most of our field trips are out and back the same day. I, I didn't expect that. No, I probably well, should have. Well, I'll tell but... you what, on those days, you're going to sleep. You're going to sleep. And hopefully you will have brought your spare socks on the field trip with you. 
Guys, thank you so much for listening to us again. Cece, thank you for joining us on the thank podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, soon, I'm sure we're going to have you telling the story. And just know that you'll have <laughs> two of your comrades now dissecting and, uh, and, and talking about you as we do. But guys, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe. Share with some friends. And by all means, reach out to us if you have any questions or requests. We've had a great time here with the stories. And we hope you have a great time listening to them. Bye. Bye. Bye.